Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Cavalcade. I'm John Dooley. We are going to be reviewing week one of the Big Ten slate, along with some other items, talking a little bit about the MAC, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and Notre Dame as well. This is the Midwest Football Cavalcade with John Dooley. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Wherever your podcasts are sold, search for me. You will hear about the greatness of football throughout the Midwest. What an exciting weekend. Man, I got started on Saturday. Actually, I got started on Thursday. We started on Thursday. Minnesota and Nebraska carrying us through the entire weekend. It was a a pretty special weekend of football. And it was nice because we got a little bit of a teaser. We got three Big Ten games on the slate, which I don't know if I'm a big fan of. Are you a big fan of it? I'm not a huge, huge fan of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm school's still out as far as that's concerned. Um, it's nice to see how the teams match up against one another. But I mean, it's kind of a shame, especially when you have two young teams going head to head. You know, they're going to be different teams once you get to the end of October, early November, and we're just not going to see them play each other unless they somehow finagle away to a conference championship, which is probably not going to happen. But nice to see Big Ten games. Anyways, we've got three of those that were on the slate, but we're going to kind of attack this from a chronological standpoint. Uh, Interesting week. We're going to do our week two preview in another podcast, which will be recorded a couple days later on in the week. We're trying to get more information from the injury reports. It's kind of silly for me to do a preview, and I don't know what's going on with the injuries. I can check on stuff. And I think now that the Big Ten's come up with this ruling stating that you have to declare who's going to be available within 24 to 48 hours. It's either 24 or 48. I should know which one it is, but they have to declare anyway who's playing and who's not. And I got bum information on the first game we're going to talk about. I told you on this podcast that Anthony Grant wasn't going to play. I lied to you. I'm a liar. I saw that he was suspended, but um, he was able to play actually in this first game. I thought it was a full game suspension. It was not the case. But that first game that came through on Thursday, Minnesota against Nebraska. And these are two teams that we had in our projections and in many of the other projections that you'll see. These are probably two teams that are going to finish in the bottom half of the Big Ten West. And there's multiple reasons why. And I think you saw them on display throughout the entire game. And there's a couple of things. You know, we're already running into technical difficulties. I've already got, I I barely got to the start of this podcast and I'm already running into issues. This is a problem. Hold on. We're at, this is, this is the second straight week, by the way, that you're going to hear my chair roll. That's how, that's how professional this podcast is. You're going to be able to hear me. Here we go. You're going to hear my chair roll. I'm going to come right over here. Oh, that's great. I pulled a muscle. This is what happens when you get old. Good stuff. Wow, this is amazing. Top of the line stuff that we're talking about right here. So on Thursday, we saw the Minnesota Golden Gophers defeat the Nebraska Cornhuskers 13 to 10. Uh, And I didn't think in this game that I would see P.J. Fleck so clearly outcoach Matt Rule. I understand that PJ's been around in the Big Ten a little bit longer. I feel both squads have about the same level of talent. And Minnesota looked like they were better prepared. 
And that's essentially why they won the game. Big mistakes by Nebraska down the stretch. And we're going to talk about those mistakes in just a little bit. Uh, but Minnesota won the game 13 to 10. Kalik Manis went 24 of 44 for the Gophers. And he also looked uncomfortable. I talked last week ad nauseum about the fact that the reason why I felt the Gophers could find their way or play their way into a bowl game or even a decent bowl game this year is because they've got this young quarterback who's very mobile and looks really comfortable. He did not look comfortable on Thursday. And I think some of it had to do with the offense. Now, I know a lot of teams won't fill out their entire offense in week one. They don't want to show everything the offense has to offer in that first week. They want to try to hide some stuff. I definitely think that was the case with Ohio State, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. But this is a game you got to win if you're Minnesota. This isn't your Ohio State and you've got all of the weapons and you're playing Indiana and you're going to win by a couple possessions so you can afford to keep things close to the vest. This is a game where you have to do some things and be a little imaginative in order to win. And I just didn't see it from that offense. I saw a dude at times who looked really uncomfortable. I saw a Minnesota offensive line also that didn't look too hot any, uh, as well. But just the offense looked unimaginative. Uh, you know, they've got receivers. You know, they've, they've, they've obviously got uh, a good receiving tandem there. They've got Jackson. Kisich's 47-yard field goal did it at the end. What about Jeff Sims? In Nebraska, Jeff Sims, I thought, had a rough game as well. He's a dual-threat quarterback. I I guess Nebraska likes what he has to offer. I wasn't sure about that offense either. This is, I'll be honest with you guys, you probably are listening to this and have heard my other weeks that I've done the podcast, and you're probably thinking to yourself, John's usually really clean with these things. What's going on right now? And I'll be honest. That Nebraska-Minnesota game was so disjointed. There's, It's really tough to pick something out to talk about. What I want to get to is Matt Rule in just a little bit, because I think the game exposed a little bit of Matt Rule and some things that I think he needs to confront. But we'll get over the big points of the game first. Four Nebraska turnovers, an absolute killer. Losing the turnover battle when you've got essentially a 50-50 matchup on the road. Um, Tyler Newbin essentially being the difference maker. We said that during our preview. Two fantastic interceptions in this game. That is a playmaking uh, first two-day NFL defensive back. That's who he is. That is an absolute baller out there, especially that second interception that he made. But let's get back to Matt Rule in Nebraska for a second. Matt Rule said if anybody watched the press conference after the game that he essentially wasn't going to talk about the past at Nebraska, that he could only talk about this game and that he thought it was great that the team was essentially able to go out in the field and compete and yada, 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 all that stuff. I, I think he's wrong for thinking that. I think you do have to confront what's taken place over these last five years or so. You're a team that has lost more one-score games than any other team in the FBS in recent memory. It's now a part of the culture of your team. That's something that you need to confront. That's something that, and it doesn't matter how you confront it. I know some people might be listening to this and saying to yourself, well, how do you confront that? Because if you talk about it more, 
it's just going to be more in your team's mind. They're going to be thinking about it whenever they get into those situations. And I think it's more of confronting it from a standpoint that, hey, this happened, but this isn't who we are. This isn't what Nebraska football is all about. We're going to get into these situations later on in the year, and we're going to win. We're going to deliver. We're not going to lose. This is not going to be a part of our culture. You guys played a good, hard, tough game. It's the first game of the year. We're playing earlier than pretty much every other FBS team. You guys put a lot of preparation into this moment. Some things didn't go our way. It wasn't as clean as we wanted it to be. But we're going to set the new standard for what Nebraska football is going to be over these next couple of weeks, and I need you to join me. See? That's not hard. That way you're talking about the issue. You're confronting it. You know it's in their minds because it is. If you're Matt Rule and you're just going to pretend like this doesn't exist within your team, then that's a problem. Like that's a serious issue because it does exist. They've been living it for the last couple of years. And when you go to Lincoln to watch a game and the game's close in the fourth quarter, guess what, Maddie? You're going to feel it. You can try to ignore it. Pretend that's not what we do under me. You're going to feel it. You will feel it in the energy of that stadium. Things getting tense. When they're getting tense in a game against Georgia Southern, like they did last year, then things are tense all around. So I mentioned this. I feel like I was saying this all last year. Nebraska just has to win a couple close games. You know, they got one last year, uh, but there's got to be more. You have to develop a culture where that's a part of what's taking place because the more this happens, the more it gets into everybody's head. So I think trying to ignore it or pretending like it didn't happen is just kind of absurd. So still troubled right now at Nebraska. This week did not rule as we asked in our week one podcast. And hey, PJ Fleck, with a team that quite honestly for me didn't do much, I look at this Minnesota team, I, I'm not really, um, I don't know. This Nebraska team, does, this Minnesota team really doesn't do much for me. They lost a lot in their running game. It's amazing how good a quarterback can look when you're handing the ball off to Ibrahim. You know, when you have that guy that you can hand the ball off to, how much easier it makes everything else. Kelly McManus doesn't have that this year. So he's going to have to make plays. And from what I saw on Thursday night, that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Moving along, Friday night we had a game. I was watching high school football Friday night, so this was the only game that I didn't get a chance to watch live. I was at the very least able to check in with games for a quarter or two and then watch the, the shortened version of the game online. Michigan State took down the chips of Central Mich Michigan 31-7. to Noah Kim was the starter. Oh, where did you hear that? Where did you hear that Noah Kim was going to be the starter before they even came up with it? Couldn't have been on this podcast, huh? Well, you did, because I told you. I said I had a little birdie and that I knew things. As a matter of fact, let's take a moment to talk about all of the things that I got right from last week's podcast. I think there were like eight big items that I landed on, right? I went six and one on my bets. I'm not a big gambler, but I put a couple dollars game down on some games. I should probably start talking about my bets on here. But I know the second I do that, the second I talk about my bets on here, you're not going to want to, you know, they're going to go south is what's going to happen. That's how it works. That's how gambling works. You start talking about it. You start showing your money. Things go south. So I'm not going to do that. 
But we said on the podcast, it looked like Noah Kim was going to be the starter. Noah Kim wound up being the starter just a couple minutes before the first snap, as a matter of fact. And Sparty got a 31-7 to victory, and Kim looked good. There's a bunch of other quarterbacks that people were trying to sell us on all over the Big Ten that were talked a hell of a lot more than Noah Kim was. I'm looking right at you, Tanner Mordecai. I'm looking right between your eyes. Noah Kim really wasn't, with Michigan State fans, talked all the time. It was the Kim or Hauser. If you're a Spartan fan, that's all what all the conversation was about. But outside of East Lansing, outside of the Detroit area, for other Big Ten fans, that really wasn't talked about too much. Mainly because we kind of know what the Big Ten East is going to look like this year, but it just was kind of an afterthought. This dude looked legit. He looked for real. 18 of 31 for 279, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Also putting the ball only where the receiver can get it. And for a young quarterback to know that and to get that is such a huge thing. There were multiple plays where I wouldn't say that it was a great ball, but he was able to put it in a spot where only his playmaker could get it. So huge win for him. And my God, maybe the best other best secret in the Big Ten, Nate Carter. The UConn transfer that's now here at Michigan State, you give him some blocks. You give him some blockers. We talked all week about how it was going to be Berger and it was going to be Berger's team and they were going to have to be a smash mouth team to help out the quarterbacks. And Berger was kind of not that much of a factor. It was Carter's game. That dude is fast. 18 carries for 113 and a touchdown. I was just blown away by how fast he was uh, after I watched the film. And this was very similar to their game last year. It was a very slow start. They were down 7-3 late in the half. And what I really like from Mel Tucker and the rest of the Michigan State team is they didn't go into a shell and said, well, we don't want to have any big mistakes before the end of the half. Let's just be conservative and and go into halftime. They uh, were very aggressive. They got a touchdown before the end of the half to go up 10-7. Tyrell Henry, great touchdown catch, by the way. That was essentially a one-hander that he made. Playmakers. All through that, that there's always a team that because they've got underclassmen who who didn't contribute a lot in the previous year or they're freshmen that weren't as heralded, you put certain players in the right offense, things happen in camp, and all the prognosticators can say all they want until they're blue in the face. But the fact of the matter is, once you get on the field, it's, it's, it's a different game. It's a different game once you get on the field. And Michigan State found some things that really worked with with its offense. Uh, Given how sluggish that first half was, I was really impressed with some things I saw at the end of that half and throughout the second half. So nice win for Michigan State. I'm really interested to see what Kim looks like as the year goes on. Uh, Sparty wins 31-7. We then headed to Saturday morning in our 11 a.m. slate. Uh, Michigan took care of East Carolina 30-3. Uh, J.J. was essentially perfect. He went 26 for 30 for 280 and three touchdowns. Corum looked fine. The whole offense looked good. The team looked complete. They were able to win this game comfortably with honestly not putting much effort into the game. One thing I will say about Blake Corum, and I even saw this on his long run, I I don't want to be the dude who puts this out there, but I'm going to put it out there. I feel like he's an eighth of a step slower since his injury. Just like slightly slower. I'm putting that out there. Talk to your friends about it. Start a rumor. Say he's slower. I want this to go around the country. Blake Corum is an eighth of a step slower than what he was before. 
Maybe I watched a slowdown highlight. Maybe that's what it was. Because I got to watch the start of this game, and then I had to go away from it, and I got to towards the end, and then I wasn't sure what I was watching. You do get the feeling, and the players said this, that without Harbaugh, they felt like they were missing something. And it did feel like there was a little bit of energy that was missing from the sideline and some energy into the game. You kind of need that in the second half when you're playing a non-Power 5 school to get yourself out there, especially when it's a hot day. You're sweating. You already went through camp. Coach, we already won the game. But you want to get your second your second string guys going. You want to make a statement. You want to show that, hey, top to bottom, this program's going to be ready to rock. But I think anybody will take it. 30-3, to three, a solid win for the Wolverines. Let's jump over to a very anticipated matchup in Iowa City. The Hawks took care of Utah State 24-14. One of the more fun stats I think we saw in Kate McNamara's debut is that when Iowa scored via a touchdown pass on their opening drive, it was the Hawks' first ever opening drive touchdown pass since 1991. It's a long time. We're going back to Hartlieb days. That's where we're that's where we're headed to. We're almost at the Chuck Long days when we start talking about stuff like that. But Iowa looked really impressive early on. Got a quick 14-0 lead for Cade McNamara. They were in control for most of the game. Little shorthanded, you know, which we talked about before, you know, Noah Sampson being out with the gambling thing, uh, uh Jamari Harris being out at corner as well. But they've got some weapons. And if they can stretch the field, it's going to make Lachey that much better. It's going to give him more room to operate. Caleb Johnson's a weapon. I'm really interested to see how they're going to use Caleb Johnson throughout the year because he's such a versatile type of size that you can split him out. You can put him uh, as a wideout. You can you can put him um, in the slot. You can uh, you can run him as a tailback. You can I don't know. Does he throw? <laughs> he's returning kicks. The guy can kind of do whatever you want him to do. He's just a really fast guy. He's a fun guy to watch. If you're wanting to be innovative and show new things, and you know it's going to be on Ferentz this year, the Ferentz family, to to be more imaginative with their offense, to put points on the board because. It's a viable defense. It's always going to be a viable defense at Iowa. They're always going to be competitive. Even in their bad years, their defense was always going to be solid. So a good win for the Hawks, 24 to 14 there. Not too much to say on those previous two games. I think that's essentially what we thought we were going to see. I also think, I, I, I thought that we would get a good game between Fresno and Purdue. I think I said that Fresno would cover, but Purdue would win. I think Purdue was favored, I think, by three and a half. But Fresno came away with a 39-35 win, and I don't view this as any indictment on Ryan Walters. This was one of the great defensive minds in all of America who took this job. But you have to understand, most of Walters' recruiting group is going to show up next year. He's got a down year where a lot of seniors left the program. Uh, the recruiting process obviously is staggered and started a little bit later after Walters took the job. Um, so it's going to be a little bit. That being said, Hudson Card looked great. 17 of 30 for 254 and two touchdowns. I thought the offense looked fantastic. I'm sitting here thinking like, hey, where's where's um, TJ Sheffield? Where's the rest of the offense? And Dion Burks had a coming out party for me. I'd heard about his speed. I just didn't know about his playmaking ability. He was explosive. He was a huge reason that Purdue had this game under control. And I 
thought at 28-17 they were in pretty good shape and eh, obviously it just didn't happen. Uh, the big issue with the defense also, Fresno was 11 of 17 on third down. Boilers just couldn't get off the field. And Mikey Keene is a really solid quarterback for Fresno, tore them up. And this is a rough D-back group for Purdue. This is a young defensive backfield core. They're going to struggle against playmaking wide receiver sets, right? When they're playing those top-of-the-line receiver groups, that's going to be an issue. And if we take a look here at Purdue's schedule, there's a couple groups that I think are going to specifically give them a problem. Obviously, Ohio State is going to give them an issue on October 14th. That's probably their biggest one. But I think quarterbacks are going to have their heyday uh, playing up against this Purdue team. So we'll see how it all works out. But it didn't look good with that defense in the first game. Jeff Tedford's a solid coach, does a pretty good job. He's doing a great, it looks like he's doing a great job at Fresno. So Nice non-conference game to kind of give your team a gauge for where they're at. I expected Purdue to really, really struggle this year. Just from their lack of returning starters, they're going to struggle. I thought they played a very competitive game. I know that's not good enough for Purdue fans to hear about. But it's going to be good enough, I feel, to keep them competitive throughout the year. Hudson Card gives them a chance to be competitive in any game that they're in. Moving along. Oh, we had another Big Ten Spectacular, folks. you got to love Big Ten Spectaculars, right? And also, I don't know about you guys, but are you going to have to get used to the Big Ten on CBS? I know I am. That's some real early 80s stuff going on. The Big Ten on CBS. I can't remember the year they left. I know I've seen highlights of Michigan, Ohio State on CBS as late as, like, I think, 86. But I think after, I think starting in 87, ABC got all the games, which is essentially the first year I started watching college football, not to date myself, but it was 87, the Tim Brown Heisman year at, at Notre Dame. That was kind of the first big year. But it's going to take a while for me to get used to seeing a game like Ohio State and Indiana on, on CBS. The last time Indiana was on CBS in football was probably when Lee Corso was coaching them. Good old Lee. Well, the Bucks took care of the Crimson 23 to 3. So Kyle McCord has the keys to a Cadillac. He just has to drive it within his own limits. You know, it's a Cadillac. It's not a um I don't know, it's not a Mercedes, it's not a what do we want to call a sports car, right? You know, this isn't something that you're going to be driving at 200 miles an hour. You have guys who are going to be able to help you coast to move along. You have a very, very, very veteran running back core. You have an NFL-ready receiving core. You don't have to do much. Here's the wild card in all of this. And here's something that I, I maybe they're talking about it in Columbus. I don't hear it being talked about too much on the Big Ten Network and other places. This offensive line's not that great. It's a, like, it's a problem. The Ohio State offensive line is an issue. They only brought back two starters. You're trying to sell me on some guy who started at Louisiana Monroe? Like, oh, we start the full year at ULM. This is Ohio State. You're supposed to have some five-star guy who's supposed to come in right away and, and play. Oh, it was a big recruit out of, I don't care. If you're Ohio State, these guys have to be ready to go immediately. Not there. Two returning starters. And the guys coming in, 
Indiana penetrated that half that game. Half that game, they were in the backfield. That's not good. That's a bad, bad, bad Indiana defense. And they really couldn't do much with it. I know the other side of the argument is, John, they know it's Indiana. They don't want to show a lot. Like we said earlier on in the podcast, they're not going to show their entire hand in this game. The really good teams can punch you in the mouth doing really, really simple stuff. Maybe not necessarily at the NFL level, but they can at the collegiate level. And and, and with Mayan Williams and with Ibuka and with Marvin Harrison and with those weapons, 23 points at Indiana is not good enough. It's just not. So Kyle McCord has to make the simple plays. He's got to be able to make the simple plays. By the way, and I know they said this during the broadcast, but you could have been on, you could have had the game on mute and you would have been able to, to see this. Aaron Casey, that linebacker in Indiana, fantastic. I mean, a, a gem. Indiana found a gem with Aaron Casey. He was a difference maker on the field and at least keeping that game competitive for the first half for the Hoosiers. Uh, speaking of the Hoosiers, and I know Tom Allen has to figure this stuff out, but the reason why you have a camp, Tom, is so that you can figure out who the quarterback's going to be. You can't be splitting every series like this is Tom Landry in 1971 with the Cowboys. We tried to rotate play-by-play with Staubach and Morton. Like, that's 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 high school stuff. He's trying to do with Soresby and, uh, and, and Jackson. It, that's not a winning combination. You have to make a decision. You have to see what it looks like through a game, what you feel good with. You should be seeing it in practice. Your team needs to rally behind a guy. I just, I don't believe in this handing off, oh, we're going to split the series type stuff. Well, you can split your losses and be done with them and give them to your opponents and finish 0-12 if that's the case. I don't care if you're playing Indiana State next week. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We got to see, we got to let a guy have the team for a chunk of time. But the IU defense looked like it could compete, so that's good news if you're a Hoosiers fan. I think for a little bit, looking at the team and how they were put together, there was some fear, definitely some fear from me, wondering if this was going to be a really, really rough Indiana season, but they looked competitive. And I worry about that Buckeye offensive line. I really, really worry about it. So just some food for thought as we go into the rest of the year. And I know Day had talked about it in the presser as well. They left some points on the field. He felt like some things could be better. Cal McCord even said so after the game. He felt like some things could be better. I think if you're Ohio State, they have to be better. It's none of this could be better stuff. They have to be better. You can't. That that has to be one of the worst games you play all year. Because if we look back at the end of the year, and this is mid-level Ohio State, I think we're probably talking about some losses too with them. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We'll be right back in just a couple seconds here on the Dooley Football Cavalcade. All right, we are back on the Cavalcade with some additional Big Ten football from week one. Wisconsin took care of Buffalo 38-17. to If you were watching this game, the start was a little sluggish. A little bit of a sluggish start from the Badgers. It was almost like they tried to force their new offense with Mordecai. And I tell you what, you could see that through him trying to force some balls. 
and he was lucky he came away with only two interceptions in that game because those were awful. That first one was terrible. And I told you, I watched a lot of Mordecai and his games at SMU, and I'm not fully sold on this dude. Um, There are playmakers that are on this team, and his job should be easier given his offensive line and his great running game. But those were some pretty big misses in this game. And that may have been nerves taking this all on, being in front of the big crowd for the first time. I know he played in some big games at SMU, but playing at Camp Randall is a little different. There was a lot of excitement around this one. They get off to a little bit of a sluggish start, but once again, it was the Badger rushing game that made the exclamation point. 314 rushing yards to Buffalo's 122. And that was essentially the difference. Uh, Ches Malusi, Braylon Allen each had 100 yards apiece. It is a poundum running game. It looked like the old days. It really did. They got tired on that hot turf. They kept pounding the ball. And you saw Malusi on that long run, winding throughout the defense. And some of those punishing runs from Braylon Allen, especially in the second half, just taking over that game. Really impressive stuff. That's the offense that that people in Wisconsin are used to seeing. That's the offense that I think they, they'd still like to see. And hopefully that's the rushing offense that makes Tanner Mordecai feel like he doesn't have to make every throw. Why are you forcing balls when you have a running game like that? Take the sack, throw the ball away, try to scamper up and get a one or two yard gain. Live to fight another day. You've got the running game and the rushing attack to get you what you need. This isn't SMU where you had to throw the ball 55 times a game. You don't have to do that. You have to, you don't have to be that guy anymore. So... You know, it was a nice play by DK that I saw in the game as well. And there were some good things that took place. But, you know, overall, uh, it, it was a little lacking for the first half. But they showed up in the second half. Buffalo's not a walkover team. You know, these MAC opponents aren't walkover teams. You don't just show up and blow them out. And you, you saw what happened with Michigan State against Central Michigan. Usually they're able to put up a solid fight for that that first half or so. And this was the case also with Buffalo. These are guys playing in the, this is the one big environment they play in every single year. So they want to be seen. They know scouts are there. They want to make, for a lot of them that are prospects, it's the film that they can use when they're going to be seen by NFL prospects. It's the game they play at Wisconsin. They're not looking at their film against Eastern Michigan or Akron. They're looking at the Wisconsin game. How did this player do against big time competition? So you better believe they're bringing their A game whenever that takes place. So no matter what happened, great win for Wisconsin and a good first win for Luke Fickle. Moving along and going out east, the Maryland Terrapins took care of Towson 38-6. Tolly had a great game, 22 of 33 for 260 and three touchdowns. That was mainly in the first half, by the way. They were just chucking the ball all over the field in the first half. Uh, Dykus and Jones really controlled the passing game. Really clean game, no turnovers. They were able to get a lot of work and jumped out to a 21-0 lead. That's the type of game that you want if you're a, a good team playing an FCS opponent. And man, the more I watch this Maryland team operate, I really like how Loxley has this program moving. I really hope they give him a chance. I, I hope people don't react negatively to what happens this year because the division's so tough. They might wind, wind up having in my 
estimation a really good year at seven and five. And the people in Maryland might think that's underachieving. Oh, I can't believe they did this again. How, why didn't they do better? It's because they have three elite programs in front of them with three really damn good teams. And that's not taking any away from what this Maryland team can be. We saw what they could do a little bit last year. This is going to be a very competitive group. And the one thing I got from the Towson game is they kind of carry themselves with, with a different vibe than you saw from previous Maryland teams. And this group really believes that they're a top-tier team. And they get that from their coach. They get that from the staff. They really get them from uh, a really veteran-based team. They believe that they're going to be able to compete for this crown. So more power to them. I don't think it's going to happen, but... I think you can see in games like this when they take care of business early, we're not going to we're not going to cut Towson any slack. We're going to treat them like we would any other opponent. We're going to go out there, we're going to attack, we're going to out to a big lead early. It was 21 nothing by the end of the first. They were up 28 nothing pretty quickly in the early in the second. They took care of business. They weren't going to run up the score because Loxley went to Towson. I don't think he wanted to do that to them, but uh still an impressive win for the Terps. Let's get to the night slate. Penn State Took care of the Mountaineers of West Virginia, 38-15. to 15. Man, oh man. I know I was talking about Noah Kim earlier. But Drew Aller looked really great. He looked fantastic. 21 of 29 for 325 and three touchdowns. Very clean on offense. And I think it really helps to have vets like, and I call them vets if some of them it's only their second year, but Singleton and Allen. They know what to expect. They know the offense. They're comfortable with Aller because Aller got a little bit of time on some reps with that, that first group last year. And it really helps to have running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield when you're a young quarterback. When you want to take the pressure off and you know that you've got that fourth or fifth option that's there, that's huge. When you got veteran guys that you can look at in the huddle and know that they're going to be where they need to be, that's big. He doesn't have to carry the whole weight on, on, their, on, their, on their shoulders. And Lambert Smith is... One of the top playmakers in the Big Ten as well. I feel like he's also flying under the radar because the Ohio State receivers kind of take all the press. Um, but uh, watching him play, throwing on the move, rolling to his right, throwing cross his body to the middle of the field, which I know they say don't do. But you want to know who can do that? You want to know who can roll to their right and then throw across their body to the middle of the field? The best quarterbacks can. The, the really elite ones can. I know they say don't do it, but you want to know who can do it? <laughs> the great ones. Patrick Mahomes could do that. Brett Favre and his prime could do that. The, Tom Brady could do that. Back in the day when they were in their primes, they could do that. He had flashes of that in that game. Don't run to your whoever you know and say, I was listening to this podcast and this guy said Drew Aller was Pat Mahomes. That's not what I'm saying. But Pretty impressive performance against a West Virginia team that's down. This is not the West Virginia teams that we remembered from years back. But Singleton and Allen, they shared the load, 23 carries for 121 combined in the touchdown. And just a really clean, nice win from Penn State. They look like a team that's interested in making the playoff this year. They look like a team that's, uh, they've heard enough of this Ohio State-Michigan talk. They want to be a part of it. Let's move along to another big game. I think this was a sleeper game in the Big Ten. Uh, Illinois defeated Toledo 30 to 28 Toledo projected to win the Mac and gave the Illini all they could handle. Caleb Griffin won it at the buzzer Daquan Finn's a, a real special player for, for the Rockets. He's a really, really solid player. 
We're going to be hearing about him throughout the year. He's going to be in a camp somewhere next year. He's a really solid player. Luke Altmeyer, and I was surprised to see the numbers at the end of the game on Luke Altmeyer because I wasn't overly impressed by his performance. I thought he just looked like a guy. It didn't look like this was like SEC level ball talent from him or, you know, oh, what a quick release or, oh, he went through his progressions. If I, I didn't really feel that from him. Uh, it's nice that he can run. That's a plus. That's a, that's a, a huge thing uh, to have that bailout when you have an offensive line that lost a little bit from the previous year. But, you know, I I will say that fourth down play was huge. That fourth down play in the, in the fourth quarter that led to the field goal, that's a big-time player making a big-time play and a situation where a lot of old Illinois teams used to wither. So if you're an Illini fan, I heard this from numerous Illini fans, you take wins any way you can get them. It doesn't matter how you get them. You know, with this particular group, I think after what happened last year, I really believe people will be happy with making another bowl. I know that there's there's hopes that there should be something more, that we should see something more from this team. But this team doesn't have the same level of talent as the team last year did. They lost NFL talent out of their defensive backfield. They lost their premier running back. They're trying to grab a new quarterback and put him into a new system. I just think it's too much to ask to say, do you think this team can win eight games? No, I don't. I think it's a huge win if they made a bowl again. I don't think anybody should be ashamed of that. So they're on their way. Their schedule's a little tight at times, but hey, they got the win that they needed to get this week. They take down Toledo 30 to 28. For for Altmeyer, it's going to be about not making mistakes. Um, you're losing a lot from the line, so you can't feel pressured. And as long as you control the line of scrimmage, it makes simple plays. I, you know, he's going to be a guy. I feel like he's going to have to be a little bit better than what I saw, which is insane because he had a good game. He had a good game. Where did I put down his stats? I had his stats right down here. He had a pretty good game. I mean, he was he was pretty consistent with what he did. So um, I feel good about Illinois. I feel good where they're at. We'll find out a little bit more, obviously, next week when they play Kansas. Now let's get to the game that I really wanted to talk about. Oh my God. So I watched Rutgers Northwestern so that you didn't have to watch Rutgers Northwestern. And I have some thoughts on this game. Rutgers wins 24 to seven. Let's start with the Rutgers stuff before I go off on the Northwestern thing. Gavin Wimsat is going to give teams something to prepare for in the Big Ten East. You can't just look at a Rutgers game and say, oh, we got Rutgers this week, but we've got Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State next week. Let's make sure that, um, uh, you know, we look at those teams because we don't really need to look at Rutgers. Uh, with with Manungai and with uh, Wimsat and a lot of the athletes that are on that Rutgers team, and a very physical Rutgers team, by the way, I don't think that this is like last year's team where it's a buy. I think you're going to have to prep for this team. I think if there's one thing you saw from this game is that these players want to play for Greg Schiano. They want to be successful for Schiano. They want to be successful for this program. They have a lot of pride in what they do. And we mentioned before, it's going to take a long, long time to build this ship back up again. But they've got a foundation. They've got a foundation to build off it. Gavin Wimsett gives you something with a dual threat quarterback like that. It's something that every single team that Rutgers is going to play, they're going to need to prepare for it. 
I thought he played a great game. Um, that being said, this Northwestern team gave me some severe 1979-1980-1981 vibes. And maybe that's not fair because those were Northwestern teams who had players that were not NFL caliber. Those were not Big Ten caliber players on those teams. Uh, maybe it's more of a 1988 Northwestern. Like early Austin P. I said Austin P. Francis P. Austin P. played Southern Illinois last week. Francis P. Um, uh, with um, the old Rick Venturi days in the late 70s. There's not, there's, it's not, I don't think, I don't think it's not, it's not just a lack of talent. It's a lack of leadership. And this comes directly from the athletic director. This comes directly from the athletic director and how he handled everything that happened there. These guys don't have a chance. They do not have a chance to compete this year. And that's 100% on their athletic director. In waiting as long as he did to make decisions, in wanting to keep guys from the old regime, they had an opportunity to start from scratch. They could have started from scratch and started to build the program from ground zero. They chose not to do it. They hired from within again. Um, and I think with everything that was surrounding the team and the lack of support that's around the team, I think you saw that on the field. That team got down. I'm really surprised that game did not get out of hand. And you have to give it to the Northwestern defense for trying to play that last half. Because Ben Bryant looked like he wanted to be somewhere else. He looked like he did not want to be in Piscataway, New Jersey. He looked like he would have easily accepted a plane ride out and maybe heading back to Cincinnati. He did not look interested at all in playing that game. That was an extremely unimaginative offense. Oh, here were the words that I used. Unimaginative, sluggish, depressing. It was depressing to watch. Uninspired. I, you can be so many different things as a football team, but if I watch you and you look to me like you quit, it doesn't matter if you think you quit or not. It's already over. It's already done. If I think that you quit, that's a problem. That's a problem. I can't look at you and think that you quit because then I own you. If I'm on the other side of the ball, you're toast. You're done. And it, you saw that throughout the entire Northwestern team. They, look, they looked beaten in the second quarter. That can't. You're playing Rutgers. You're not playing the flipping 85 Bears. It's like, oh, 17 nothing. We're done now. Peyton's going to run the ball 30 more times. No, it's Rutgers. Get your head back on straight. Play the rest of the game. I That can, means a lot of things to me. The lack of leadership, lack of senior leadership, and a disconnect right now in the program. And if something goes awry in these next couple of weeks, the wheels could completely come off this thing. I'm trying to not be over dramatic. I'm just trying to prepare you, the listener, for what could take place at Northwestern. This thing could get ugly, ugly, bad, bad, to the point where 
it'll be very tough for this program to recover within a year or two. We're talking it's going to be tough for the program to recover for at least five to six years. And I think I'm being kind, actually. Because this is not USC. This is not Ohio State. When you have that Vanderbilt slash Stanford level of academic prowess at your school, and the university looks at you like you're a burden, you earned all those friends over the last 30 years. You earned them. Gary Barnett worked day and night to build those. And give credit where credit was due. It goes back to Dennis Green, actually. Dennis Green's really the guy who got the university interested in football again. But the guy who really got them to understand that it, just being interested wasn't enough. They had to be interested in big-time football. That was really Gary Barnett. And they built this and built it and built it. And Fitz was a part of building it and building it and building it. And this whole house is on... It feels like it's teetering to the point where they may not have that foundation anymore. And where are they going to be starting from after that? It's just a really scary time, but hey, it's of their own doing. They did it to themselves. And um, they have no one to blame but themselves. And they're entering a very, very... A uh, scary situation. You built all of these new facilities with all of this money you're about to invest in this brand new stadium complex that's going to change what Northwestern's looked like. I don't know, man. I really don't. You start losing games, a lot of people, a lot of those alumni are going to start asking, why are we giving this money for this? Why are we giving the money for a program that obviously doesn't care about the university, doesn't care about their players, doesn't care about winning? They're not winning. Why are we giving our money for this? I'd rather my money go to X or to Y or to Z, something that our university is known for. I'm getting ahead of myself. I know I'm getting I'm getting years and years past all this, and you might think I'm being overdramatic. Um, I don't think I am. I don't think I am. Someone at Northwestern... So I think the issue here is, is that there's people at Northwestern who think that they stood up and they did the right thing. What the real issue is, is that they haven't done enough. They have not done enough yet. There's a lot more work to be done. This isn't just a, oh, well, we did this. We'll wipe our hands. We're good. Everything's, we're good to go. That's not what the situation is. There's a lot more work that needs to be done. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and then when we come back, we're going to highlight the MAC and the Missouri Valley Football Conference here in just a moment on The Cavalcade. All right, back here on The Cavalcade, there's a couple things that I wanted to talk about that I didn't mention with Northwestern. Uh, 12 rushing yards. I, all these, I went off on the deep end about my feelings about Northwestern. 12 rushing yards. And they're bad, by the way. And I We said Rutgers' defensive line is still going to be pretty solid. But, the, I mean, they're bad. They looked bad. That offensive line is terrible. That is the worst offensive line in the conference. If you, you could fit, they're so bad, you could probably fit in a 15th and 16th and 17th imaginative team. They're around 18. They're terrible. That is an awful, awful group. So I don't know what they're going to have to do. So 
I, you know, I said some comments about Ben Bryant, but it doesn't matter who's back there. If it's Sullivan, if it's Holinsky, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's back there. If that's their line, they're toast. Anyway, we talked about some other Mac games earlier because we talked about what happened in the Big Ten. So we already talked about Toledo. We talked about Buffalo. We talked about Central Michigan. Um, some other games. We knew Kent State was going to struggle this year. They only returned four starters. This is kind of like an expansion team in the Mac, essentially, with a new coach. They got toasted by the Golden Knights 56-6. to I... I didn't know if it was going to be that bad, but it was it was pretty rough, and uh, I just feel bad for Kent. Eastern Michigan did take care of Howard after they struggled for most of the game, 33-23. to 23. Uh, There was a comment made by some Miami of Ohio players that they were the real Miami. Well, they found out very quickly that that was not the case. They were beaten badly, 38-3 to down in Miami. It was an impressive win for the Canes. Ball State showed up against a very good sleeper Kentucky team. Kentucky's actually got a pretty solid team this year in the SEC. They're just kind of under the radar as far as I'm concerned. They got more pub last year, and it wound up not going well for them. But Kentucky beating Ball State 44-14. to Bowling Green tried their best against Liberty. They fell short 34-24. to Not too much of a surprise there. But the big surprise was Northern Illinois taking care of Boston College 27 to 24 in overtime. I think if you're looking at um, teams to invest in in the MAC, I think you could do much, much worse than Northern Illinois. They really did a fantastic job. Rocky Lombardi, who remember last year got hurt. And they were struggling before Lombardi got hurt. But they did a lot of really interesting things in this game. I thought when it was 21-7 in the fourth, the game was over. The Eagles came back. It was a hot day. I thought the Eagles got a little too conservative with some of their play calling. And the Huskies took advantage of it. So give credit where credit is due. Huskies with a big win on the road in Chestnut Hill. We mentioned before at the start of the year, they have a big-time offensive line. Northern Illinois has like a Big Ten-level offensive line. They were rated in some publications as being a top 25 offensive line. It's really going to help out Rocky. Um, Justin Lynch is a very versatile type player for them as well. He's a nice little wild card for them to have, but they did, they, they did a pretty good job running the football, did a good job controlling the ball. And I know it's not, it's, you know, Boston college has got, um, you know, Boston college is having a little bit of an off year in the ACC. They also kind of shot themselves in the foot. They had 10 penalties for 93 yards. So not the best day for them, but still a good win for Northern to beat a Power 5 opponent on the road, 27-24. They'll be hosting the Salukis this week. The Bobcats took care of LIU 27-10 to get that bad taste out of their mouth from their opening loss. And how about Akron, who played Temple really tough out in Philly? This was an Akron team that was one of the worst teams in college football last year. They returned a good portion of their team, and they were competitive for the majority of this game. I know this Temple team isn't a world-beater team, but that's a really good sign if you're a Zips fan. Uh, Temple defeated them 24-21. We now move over to the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Indiana State got shut out by Eastern Illinois 27 to nothing. This is an EIU program that's really, really struggled over the last couple of years. And for them to have a showing like this and get a shutout against a Valley opponent, that's a really good sign for their program. Indiana State was missing their quarterback. I think the trees are going to be better than what they showed in this game, but still an impressive win for Eastern Illinois. Youngstown took care of Valpo 52 to 10. The Penguins, wah, 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 
Pretty good job, pretty good team, trying to rebuild what that team had before. Uh, they believe that they can compete kind of in the middle tier of that valley, so that's a good statement win for them over the non-scholarship uh, Valpo. I still want to call them the Crusaders. I'm sorry. Mizzou took care of South Dakota 35-10. to 10. That was expected. South Dakota did hang with them for a little bit. South Dakota State could have been much more mean to Western Oregon. They weren't. They just won 45-7. to 7. Missouri State hung with Kansas for a little bit. If you're interested in that, Missouri State's a, probably going to be a bottom tier, just below mid-tier Missouri Valley team this year. They lose to the Jayhawks 48-17. to 17. Illinois State with an impressive 41-0 win over Dayton. That was good for them. Uh, I think they really needed that to uh, kind of get some positivity flowing again. They've had some ups and downs over these last couple of years. Iowa State beat Northern Iowa pretty handily, 30-9. to And over the years, Northern Iowa has given other big Iowa opponents a run in these games. And I think the Cyclones were ready for it this time. They said, this time, we are not going to get scared against Northern Iowa. I think this is a really good Northern Iowa team. So an impressive win for Iowa State. North Dakota State took care of Eastern Washington, 35-10. to 10. Eastern Washington's usually a pretty good team, uh, even though they struggled last year. North Dakota defeated non-scholarship Drake, 55-7. to 7. That was kind of expected. Southern Illinois with a pretty impressive performance with their offense. They beat the Austin P. Governors, 49-23. to 23. Nick Baker's back for his 17th year as quarterback at SIU. Uh, they've got a good offense. They've got some playmakers on defense, but they're really going to have their challenge this week when they go to DeKalb. Murray defeated Presbyterian, so a good win for them. Their program's been kind of in some trouble the last couple of years. They're trying to build something there. And New Mexico State defeated Western Illinois uh, pretty handily. So uh, I think a lot of people felt Western could compete in that game. That did not take place. Other regional games, Cincinnati defeated Eastern Kentucky 66-13. to Cincinnati was supposed to have a rough year in the Big 12, but quite frankly, um, I don't know, man. I, it, that was a pretty impressive performance. I know that's an FCS school, but uh, but they got their new offense going and clicking for the Bearcats. Notre Dame took care of Tennessee State 56-3. to And this was a game that started a little sluggish, and Eddie George got his team going. They were able to compete for a little bit of time, but uh, they really got shut down as the team went on. There's a pretty big gap between the five-star athletes at Notre Dame and, and what's at Tennessee State. I said it before, Audric Estime is huge. This dude is massive. 13 carries for 116. Um, Sam Hartman looked fantastic. Uh, Steve Angeli came in and did a really good job as well. And hopefully that's a sign of things to come for Notre Dame. They they really believe in that guy. And um, I do want to see Chris Tyree get a little bit more work at receiver before I make any comments about that. And by the way, all this time, and I keep wanting to mention Howard Cross the third. Remember Howard Cross? Howard Cross the third plays on Notre Dame. Remember Howard Cross? He was a tight end on the New York football giants. Okay. Too much information on my head, but that's what happened in week one in college football. Uh, it was an interesting week. It was a fun week. If we look across the the gamut of all the games that took place, uh, are there any thoughts or feelings that I take away? I think Nebraska has to get honest with themselves. I think that's the first and foremost thing that has to take place. A Michigan state might be a sleeper team this year. Um, what other things did we see that I wanted to really want to see Ohio state's offensive line develop over these next couple of weeks. That's another thing I'm looking at is Wisconsin just going to say, screw it. This is who we are. We're, we're going to, we're not, we're not going to be this high, this high powered offense. We're just going to pound the ball like we used to back in the day. And I want to see how much of a professional team Penn state looks like, man, they really look like they're together. 
they really look like they're clicking on all cylinders and that they're ready to go and that they really want to threaten for this. And who is Luke Altmeyer? Who is Luke Altmeyer? We'll get another sense of that when they play up against Kansas next week when they play them on Friday. But uh, week one had a lot of exciting things take place. And I think every week we learn a little bit more about each team in the Big Ten, about each team in the MAC, and also throughout the Missouri Valley Football Conference as well. Man, next week we got some fun games. We're going to talk about them in the preview. One game that looked like it was going to be worth nothing is now worth all of the talk. Of course, I'm talking about Colorado and Nebraska. The Buffs with that huge, huge win against TCU. Um, outside of that, the top 25, there weren't too many surprises. Maybe Washington pounding Boise State the way that they did. Just knowing that that's a really, really good team. I personally wasn't surprised about North Carolina over South Carolina. I know some people were surprised about that. I was not. Uh, I will say I was surprised Florida State took care of LSU the way that they did. But um, an interesting week. Week two is going to bring even more. So make sure to, to subscribe to the podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're pretty much wherever podcasts are being sold or subscribed to. Look for the Dooley Football Cavalcade or the Midwest Football Cavalcade. And remember, I'm at Dooley Football on Twitter X. That's at Dooley, my last name, D-O-O-L-E-Y, football. That's where you can follow me, at Dooley Football on Twitter X. That's where I put all my great stuff. And try to find me on Facebook, too. I've got a Facebook page, so so be on the lookout for that. I'll make sure that you're listening. And uh, we'll put links to podcasts on there as well. Hope you guys have a great week. I'll be talking with you soon. Look out for the preview podcast at some point. Try to get that released late Wednesday. I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good week and happy football.